it is certainly an honor to be with you, and I'm glad churches allow pastors to go on vacation. That way I can keep speaking around every once in a while. And it's good, my joy and honor to be with you. I ask you to turn with me this morning in Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 13 is a portion of the Word of God that Jesus has been teaching in parables. Fantastic lesson, uh, plan, or method. He, you know, most of the time we like it when they're illustrating or giving lessons that are about other people's mistakes, what they did wrong, how they messed up, and uh, we, we amen so long as it does not personally affect us. Jesus had a way of talking about things out in the world, and he shared these stories in such a manner that occasionally even the Pharisees said, I sense that he's talking about us. I'm not sure that I get it, but I think maybe that what he was, what he said was about us, you know. And and uh, the disciples occasionally did not know exactly the nature of the Lord's story, and he had to reveal and share with them the content of a parable and the sower and the tares and uh, the ten virgins, the leaven and the lump, and all the. Great parables. Now, the Bible does tell us that never man spoke like Jesus. He was a gifted teacher, a gifted preacher. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount takes about 20 minutes to read. And uh, what an awesome message. Can you imagine having been there when Jesus preached? Blessed are the... And uh, what a message. And so he had an oratory skill... Uh, they commanded the audiences, and they listened intently, and, and he spoke with power. He was a, a gifted orator, uh, but more than that, what he shared was so powerful and important. And uh, the people kind of hung on the words of our Lord. And in Matthew chapter 13, after he has shared a handful of parables, it says in verse number 34... And 35, I'll read these two verses in your hearing. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great privilege that is mine to be in this place this morning. I thank you for the Sunday school hour, the teaching of your word. I thank you for the song service that's opened our hearts in, in a time of worship, helped us to kind of move into your presence. And I pray that you would be pleased to be in our presence today, that you would join us and that we would sense your presence here. Receive honor and glory for yourself. Use me as a mouthpiece of these truths that you laid on my heart for this morning. And we'll be very careful to give you praise. In Jesus' name I ask it all. Amen. Amen. Kind of a fascinating attachment to the Sunday school lesson. You talked about the time being round. And really we need to consider time as a line. And time really is something that was invented for man. God lives apart from time. 
Time has no bearing on God. Time is really precious to us. Timing is important to God. There is a time for everything, and, and God has timing, and it's very important that you understand God moves in his time, not ours, but he invented time for us. That's why there's the evening and the morning, day one, day two, day six, day seven, whatever day we're on now. Uh, the, the fact is that time was invented for us, and God established time. There is coming a, 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 an end of time when time shall be no more. The Bible begins its story in the beginning of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, before Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, there still was God, and there still was eternity past, and there still would be eternity future. And so when the Lord was here, a portion of his ministry was used to reveal some things that transcend time. Some things that were before in the beginning and some things that are after Revelation's last amen. So the Lord shared some things. And now they didn't all understand that. You understand it today? You got a good handle on it? Well, neither do I. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I believe in constantly reading and rereading and, and then rereading and, and then checking on it again and balancing it along with something else because there are things in the Bible that I'm discovering on a daily basis, things that God reveals to me that I have read dozens and dozens of times. Amen. God's still in the business of opening his word for us. And, and uh, it's been here, and God knew it, God penned it. But I didn't get it. I want you to share some thoughts with me this morning about how far back do you go? I, I, I can remember back to when I was probably three years old. I don't remember anything really that, that I can put a hand on before I was three years old. Probably a good idea that I don't. It wasn't all great, but... But I remember three, and I remember some things from when I was four and five, and then maybe it gets a little better, and then I remember a lot from when I was a, a youth and a teenager, and then I remember maybe quite a bit about my high school days and college days, and I don't remember yesterday so well, but there's a period of time that I really, I kind of remember pretty good. But I want to think back before that. And back before that, and back before that, and I want you to consider some thoughts that the Lord laid on my heart. I, I know that we're here by the direct work of God. I believe God made man in his image. And I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe that God set all those things in motion. God is the author, and God is the developer, and God is the architect, God is the artist. I don't, I don't, I, I cannot. I think it takes more faith to believe that an amoeba grew legs and hair and uh, jumped out of the pond, started crawling, and became a man. Then it does to believe that God spoke and the worlds were in their place. And God formed 
and breathed, and man became a living soul. But I want to think about uh, prior to that, because I believe that the Lord's sharing here, and he said, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. What kind of things are those? Well, the Lord laid this on my heart. I hope that it does somebody good this morning. Number one, I'd like you to consider with me that before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. Amen. You know, I, sinners go all the way back to Adam, the first man. And because of him, sin entered into the world. And he is the father of all of, of every nation, of every tribe, of every people. He is the, he's the first. He is the, 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 the captain of the sinful. We are in the first man, Adam, we're all related because he sinned for us. And so we're all guilty. <clears throat> but before he did, there was already a Savior in place. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter wrote for us that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain. Amen. Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8, the Bible speaks about the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. John chapter 1, verse number 29. John revealed to us that this is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. He knew the Lamb of God. He recognized the Lamb of God. This is that Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15. And again in chapter 22 and verse number 8, God spoke to to. to to Moses to record for us that in the days even of Adam and his sin that I knew it would happen. Can you imagine? I try every once in a while to just get a concept. Nothing ever dawned on God. There was never a time that God had to come up with a new plan. There was never a time when he was caught off guard. And, and even the concept of, uh, what, when I try to scratch my head and think about God's strategy, it's not as if there really was a strategy. God chose, but he chose knowing the consequences of that choice. He chose to make man, knowing that man would sin, knowing that man would rebel, knowing that he could put man on the best place on planet earth, where he planted a garden, where he had prepared everything, and that in spite of all of God's preparation, man would sin, man would rebel, man would choose someone besides him, and there'd be a need for a savior. You know, God did not create man out of boredom. He did not create the angels out of boredom. God is absolutely self-sufficient. God had no need for any other entity, no other being. And in fact, if you think hard about this, eternity past was a long, long time ago. If boredom had been an issue, then way back, long before time began, Time would have started a long time ago. 
I know it's a little complex. It's actually a little bit too much for me. Thank you. May your tribe increase. But nothing has dawned on God. And I want to try to get to the end of the thought, but I haven't got over that. That God knowing exactly what was going to transpire. God knowing the ineptness, the, the lack of gratitude, knowing how wicked we would be, knowing how vile, knowing that by the time you get to Genesis chapter 7, that the thoughts of man's heart were only evil continually, knowing that it wouldn't take long for man to fall out of the will of God and, and somehow to separate himself from God and to become so wicked that the Bible says in Jeremiah that, that our hearts are desperately wicked. In spite of that, God made man. I'd love to share with you that in my personal concept of rationale, which may not be right, I believe that it's because a perfect God had perfect fatherhood in him. He's a perfect God. And, and, and part of the character of God is this perfect fatherhood. And in order for perfect fatherhood to be displayed, there had to be children. And, by the way, all of you know, You've never raised a perfect child. And they didn't have perfect parents. But God being the perfect father taught us how to be good fathers. He taught us how you love even when they rebel. Even when they don't do as they should. Even when they act out, you still love. And you don't quit providing for them just because they went the wrong way. You don't quit loving them just because they embarrassed you. You don't quit loving. See, I'm telling you that that's something big you need to know about God. God already knew that man would fall. How many of you fathers thought, I want to have a child because I believe I'll have a perfect child? I, I, Honey, let's have some children. We'll have perfect children. Of course not. You chose to have children anyway. You chose to have children knowing that you were going to love them anyway. Before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. I want you to know, second of all, that before there was guilt, there was grace. May not do much for you. I, I, I haven't got over this grace. Um, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul, and I know we mentioned him again in Sunday school. He wrote that letter. And the Apostle Paul is really big in, in the subject of grace. Grace is really a tremendous um, product, gift from God. It is, it is ours. And, and it's a testimony to the fact that I don't deserve it. It's a testimony to the fact that I'm, I'm wretched, 
I'm vile, I'm desperate, I'm wicked, I'm sinful. But even before I had any concept of that, God extended grace. You know, it. Paul said, in good conscience, I did what I did. In good conscience, I was on my way to Damascus. In good conscience, I was going there to incarcerate and capture and kill those who were in that way. I was doing what I was doing in response to protecting the religion that I had grown up with. And the name associated with that religion, God. <clears throat> but he met the Lord on that road. I love the way that he writes. And you, we were in chapter 4 this morning, but in chapter 1, verse 9, he begins to share how important that grace was to him. The law did not create sin. And it did not create sinners. The law identified sin. But even before the law was penned, it was written on our hearts and we were condemned. Before there was guilt, there was grace. Before man ever strayed, before he sinned, before he separated himself from God, there was grace. God already had a provision made. You see, when, when he put man in the garden, I, I tell you, if it had been Ed Button or you, and the Lord God walked with us in the cool of the day, I'm going to tell you, let, let me put you in the Lord's place. I'll take Adam's place, you take the Lord's place, and we're going to walk in the cool of the day. And we're going to just kind of stroll through the garden. You know everything, you're God. You know it all. You know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know about the fact that that serpent is going to come up and, and he's going to uh, betray, he's going to uh, challenge, he's going to attempt and he's going to woo you, he's going to bring you away from... And the, So I know, or you know, being God, you know that I'm going to choose wrong. You know I'm going to mess up. You know I'm going to sin. You know I'm going to eat that. Apple, orange, banana, pomegranate, whatever it was, that, that fruit. You know that I'm going to mess up. God has the ability to know that and love me and walk with me. I've got to be honest with you. I, I, I don't have that quality. I, this is... A revelation about me that I would really just as soon stay here. Every once in a while, while I'm asleep, I'll have a dream or a nightmare. And in my nightmare, my wife will do something that really annoys me. Strictly a dream or a nightmare. But I, I've got to confess, usually when I wake up in the morning after she disappointed me in my dreams, 
it's usually not a good start to the day. I mean, she upset me, and she doesn't even know it. She's not even guilty. You know what I'm, you know, I'm, some of you act like maybe you've been there. There are some times that uh, I will, I'll kind of go in and, and lay down and I'll kind of not so accidentally, I'll throw my arm so that it barely hits her, you know, and, and she doesn't wake up. And that annoys me. So I'm speaking to the right crowd this morning, I can tell. My, my point is this. If somehow... I can have my mind twisted over something that she doesn't know. What do you think it would be like if it's something that she did know? What if somehow God who had all that knowledge had to use what he did know, what he was absolutely sure was going to happen, he could easily have used that against us and, and not really have welcomed us in. But I like this. When Paul was writing the letter to the Romans, he said, where sin abound, grace doth much more abound. And he has proven that grace is, the, is all sufficient. And, and, uh, and I tell you, you like the Psalms, Psalm 137, I believe it is, that ends... And his mercy endureth forever. And his mercy endureth forever. His mercy. Wow. God certainly has been merciful and gracious to me. Let me move on. Number three. Not only before there was a sinner or a savior, before there was guilt, there was grace. But before there was punishment, there was a promise. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1, the Bible says, In hope of eternal life, which God, which cannot lie, promised, before the world began. You know, when man sinned, it could easily have been, and I know that some people have this concept that when man sinned, God had to figure out now what? Remember, he said, in the day ye eat, thou shalt surely die. God already had prepared a, a consequence for their sin. God knew that that, that that not only could happen, but would happen. And so he made a promise concerning the guilty. <clears throat> Whoever invented that pollen needs to be put on trial. <laughs> God. <laughs> but before there was punishment for sin, there was a promise. God had already, before the foundation of the world, he said hope of eternal life. Before the foundation of the world, God already had a plan. God already had a, a substitute in mind. God already had a provision made. God already had a, 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 a provision made so that when man did sin, God knew that he would die, that his death would be real. His body would first begin to understand decay. 
and death and, and his cells would begin to die off and he was taking that spiraling course down and, and he was on the death road. But God had a way to cover that. You know that somehow artists have rendered a picture of Adam and Eve with their fig leaves as if three fig leaves was all they had. I don't, they may have had a coat that covered them from head to toe. They may have had leaves that uh, made it so that they could have uh, been impossible to see in a, in a, in a, in a fig tree. I, I, don't, I don't know. But I know that it wasn't satisfactory. I know it wasn't enough. And so the Lord slew an animal and made them coats. And with those coats, he demonstrated the need for the shedding of blood. Before there was punishment, there was a promise. And he said, to those that were guilty, Christ would come. He said, to those that would fall, that Christ would lift them up. He is a, a God that has thought, planned, and prepared for everything that we experience in this life. I want you to consider this with me as well. Before there was a hell, there was a heaven. Amen. God had to prepare hell for the fallen angels, and then he had to prepare it for those who would eternally reject him as Savior. But there's always, there's always been heaven. There's always been the home of God. There's always been the place for the redeemed, for the pure, and for the forgiven. Matthew chapter 25 said from the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 4. Before that, Jesus spoke in parables. And this concept is so remarkable to me that I want I, I, I have to just relish in it for a moment that God knew me before I was formed. He knew me before I was born, before I was thought of. He knew the path that I would take. He knew the pitfalls that I would fall in. He knew everything that my life would ever entail. Can you think with me for a minute? I know that somebody's going to go off the deep end and they're going to think that I'm a, a pre- I'm not going to go there. Here's, here's a point that you've got to understand. He knew. He knew me. He knew how I would sin. He knew how I would turn out. But he loved me anyway. He chose me. And I don't have a problem preaching that either. I, I want you to understand something. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I've shared this in the past. I'm one of five children. And my, my folks, uh, when, when they retired, they, they chose to move to Bushnell and, and live next door to me. And I feel quite, quite honored. Now, they're both in heaven living next door to someone much, much greater. But that was their choice. They chose to move and live next door to me. And it may have created some... But I often say, I can't tell you for sure that I'm my mom and dad's favorite. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, here's what I absolutely know for sure. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they loved me. Amen. And when I think about Jesus, 
What I have absolutely come to grips with is, I know he loves me. Because 2,000 years before I was born, he paid for my sin at Calvary. He knew how rotten I would be. I may have shared this as well. I surrendered to preach when I was 12 years old. It was a youth camp. My dad's name was Ed Button. I'm Ed Button. I have a son, Ed Button, and a grandson, Ed Button. We've got different middle names. <laughs> but the invitation was given, and I went forward, and I, I, I shared with the pastor that I was talking with that I believe God had called me to preach. So at the invi- after the invitation was done, they kind of get up and they give little reports. You know, there were three professions of faith made, praise the Lord. And, and then the preacher that I was talking with said, and uh, Ed Button has announced that he believed God has called him to preach. And my mom went, because <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was my, my dad, you know. And, and then... After that, she found out it was me, and she said, because my mom was more suspect that I was going to grow up and be the Antichrist than a preacher of the gospel. I had not displayed the kind of things that you would expect from a man that God was going to call to preach the gospel. I had some things that really need ironing out in my life. My mom had to iron. <laughs> that I was rotten. Hey, I didn't deserve the great parents that God gave me. But I also did not deserve his love. I did not deserve for him to pour himself out for me. Amen. The Bible says concerning Christ. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, there was a preacher one time that was quoting that verse and he said, he became as it were sin. But that's not what the Bible says. Not as it were, he became sin. Let me tell you what that means. The iniquity of us all was laid on him. And by his stripes, we are healed all the day long. And what I mean by that is that that he bore all of my sin. He took all of my sin. He did not deserve to. He did not have to. He chose to. Take all that on him for me. Listen, I don't, the audience this morning has only two kinds of people, lost and saved. And I'll be honest, I kind of feel like that the majority of you know Christ as your personal Savior. Sometime in your past, you confessed, you invited the Lord to come into your heart, you know you're saved. Hallelujah for that salvation. And you're saved not because you've done something really worthwhile that God took notice of. 
You were despicable too. You were fully lost and fully hopeless. He reached down and saved you. Every once in a while I feel like that it would do us good to remember that the Lord God chose the dust of the ground, not the gold dust of the ground, and he made man. I wasn't very much when he made me. I wasn't very much when he made me over. And I may not be very much today, but one of these days I am going to be like him, for I shall see him as he is. Amen. I'm telling you, I've, I've, got a, I've come a long way, and I've got a long way to go. Amen. But I am so glad that he saw, I, I sang with that, the, the last song, by the way, because it said, led out by the youth. So that's why I sang out, because I felt like, you know, it would make me young. <laughs> hey, like many of you, I'm closer to the coffin than the cradle. Who knows how long we have? Remember this song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. I'm a work in progress. And I don't deserve any of the good things that he's ever done for me. Every once in a while I just have to stop and thank him because... He knew I was going to fail today. He knew I was going to fail yesterday. He knows that I'm going to fail tomorrow. But it has not altered his love for me. It hasn't caused him to second guess his choice. It hasn't caused him to repent of having loved me and given himself for me. It hasn't caused him to somehow wish that he could have done it all over again. He has absolutely and eternally loved me. He knew what he was getting when he said, come unto me. I'll give you rest. And he knew what he got when he called you. And he loved you. I hope that somehow this morning I've encouraged you to know that he's a God that's anxious to hear. He's, he is so tuned in to you and he is so leaned in your direction. He is so apt to respond and to forgive and to bless and to, he, he loves you. Amen. He loves you. There's probably nothing more thrilling. I cannot tell you the name of the... I, I tried to share this one time and I, I I put it off on Dr. Criswell and I'm not sure that I was correct, but I know a, a, a Bible professor was giving lectures and uh, at the end of his lectures there was a little time left and so they asked if there were questions from the audience. And so one of the Bible students said, 
Dr. Criswell or whoever that speaker was, he said, you've been studying the Bible a long time. What is the most profound thing that you have ever unearthed or discovered in the Bible? And he said, wonderful things in the Bible I see. But this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. I haven't got over that. Yeah, my mom and dad love me. My wife loves me. I guess my children do. (laughs) But if there's a refrigerator in heaven, my picture's on that. Jesus loves me. This I know. It should encourage you. He knows what he's getting. But because he loves me so, I feel an overwhelming passion to try to stay warmed up to him all the time. To try to stay as close as I can to him all the time. Don't you feel that way? Would you stand please? Heavenly Father, I pray your blessings upon this portion of your word that we've looked at. You spoke in parables and you intended to share things that had been in place before the foundation of the world. And I think for that audience, what I've tried to share today is that you knew man because you made him. You knew that man would fall. But you knew that you'd be there to catch him. And you knew that you would love us in spite of how far away we ran. Lord, I thank you for that love that has provided salvation, has provided us a future in heaven. Lord, I just thank you that we have not somehow gone so wrong that you wish that you hadn't done what you did. Forgive us, draw us close to you, and we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.